Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This chapter is the most detailed passage on the breaking of bread in Scripture. And we walked through verses 23 to 34 last time. And this morning, I want us to look at this subject in a broader, more practical way. And to do that, I would like us to ask some simple questions that I've listed in your bulletin relative to the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to apply this by taking communion together at the close of our service. First question is, why should we do it? Is this really important? Well, let me give you some reasons why we should do it. You know, the Lord Jesus placed supreme value on this ceremonial act. In fact, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow and I said you'd have time tonight with your loved ones and friends, I imagine you would be very selective about what you would do this evening with your family and friends knowing that you were going to die tomorrow. Well, on the night before Jesus died, Luke twenty-two fifteen tells us, he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, the reason Jesus wanted to have the Passover meal with the disciples was not so that he could remember with them what happened in Egypt. It was so that he could instigate this new remembrance feast with them. It was that important to him that the night before he died, he inaugurated this remembrance feast. And obviously, the early church placed great value on it because in Acts 2.42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. This was something they were continually devoted to. And later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, when we were gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread... So the early church gathered together, and the focus of their gathering together was the breaking of bread. So much of our modern church activity is centered around a pulpit. And that's not necessarily wrong, because there's a commitment to teaching. But as I read about the early church, they gathered together, and the center of their service was a table. On that table was the bread and the cup reminding them of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus was committed to it. The early church was committed to it. Let me give you one more reason why it's important, and that is it's a command. Right here in chapter 11 and verse 24, Jesus says at the end of that verse, do this in remembrance of me. That's a commandment. To willingly and consistently Absence yourself from the breaking of bread is to be disobedient to the Lord. Jesus only commanded us to do two symbolic ceremonial things. One is baptism that we saw earlier. The other is the breaking of bread. So it's important. Second question, who may participate? The short answer is anyone who knows the Lord is welcome to participate. It's not limited to people who have reached a certain level of spiritual maturity because if you go back to Acts chapter 2, most of the people 
participating in the breaking of bread in Acts chapter 2 were one day old in the Lord. Don't have to be mature in the Lord to participate. And it's not limited to members of this local church because it is not our supper. It says in chapter 11 and verse 20, it's the Lord's supper. It's his supper. So if you have a relationship with him, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are invited to participate in the Lord's Supper. Third question, when should we do it? How often should we do it? You know, some churches do it once a year. Some do it quarterly. Some do it monthly. Some do it weekly. There is no specific rule laid down in Scripture as to how often a local church should remember the Lord Jesus. But when we go back to the book of Acts, it's interesting that in Acts 2.46, it tells us that the church at first broke bread daily. And then later in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we found that they broke bread on the first day of the week. The indication is when you read the book of Acts, every time they came together, however often that was, they broke bread. If they met together daily, they broke bread daily. If they met together weekly, they broke bread weekly. So there is no precedent in Scripture for anything less than that. And such a delay in participating in the breaking bread is often defended on the grounds that familiarity breeds contempt. I hear people say that. Well, if you do it too often, it becomes too commonplace. Try that with your wife. Honey, I haven't been home for supper for a while, but it's just because I want it to be real special when I do show up. See, we don't do that with someone we love. And with the Lord Jesus, when we gather together, there's to be time set aside to take the bread and to take the cup and to remember him and to show our love for him. Fourthly, What should we do it for? What's the purpose of this simple ceremony? Let me give you seven emphases of the breaking of bread. Number one is remembrance. In chapter 11 and verse 24, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He said that in the context of the Passover meal, which was designed for Israel to remember how God had delivered them from Egypt. And so Jesus was instituting this new meal of remembrance. Rather than remembering how God had delivered Israel from their bondage to the Egyptians, we now remember how Jesus has delivered us from our bondage to sin. We no longer have to go back to Egypt to see God as our deliverer. We now go back to the cross to remember God as our deliverer. And to help us to do that, just as in the Passover, there were many symbols in the Passover meal. Jesus took the bread, a reminder of his body, broken for us. And he took the cup, a reminder of his blood that was shed for us. And I find that to be very important because I don't know about you, but I am a forgetful person. And Satan loves to get me distracted away from the cross. I love to make my Christianity very complicated. And the reality is, it's very simple. It all goes back to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross 
of Calvary. And so Jesus gave us something very tangible, bread and cup, to remember his body and his blood, the sacrifice that set me free from my sins. So it's a remembrance. Secondly, it's a communion. If you turn back a chapter to chapter 10 and verse 16, we looked at it earlier as we were going through the book of 1 Corinthians. It says in verse 16, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? When we take the bread and the cup, we share in the body and the blood of Christ. And so it is more than just remembering about Jesus. It is communing with Jesus in his death. In fact, this word sharing is, a, is the Greek word koinonia. Some of you are familiar with that word. It's usually translated in Scripture, fellowship. So instead of calling this communion, we could call this fellowship. Because as it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the one bread represents the unity of the body of Christ, and the one bread also reminds us of the body, the literal body of Jesus given for us. And so when we take the bread, we are fellowshipping together with each other, and we are fellowshipping with the Lord. And so it's a communion. Thirdly, it's a time to give thanks. If you look at verse 24 of chapter 11, it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And the Greek word for giving thanks is the Greek word Eucharist. That's where we get that idea that it's the Eucharist. It's a time to give thanks. And so when we break bread, it's a way to show our appreciation to the Lord by saying, thank you. It's not really a time designed for our benefit. It's a time designed for his benefit. And the primary purpose of the breaking of bread is not to encourage you or to exhort you or to meet your needs. It's not a time when you come and ask for anything. It's a time when you simply come and say, thank you to the Lord Jesus for what he has done for you. Fourthly, it's a time of rededication. Look at verse 25. It says, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup is a reminder to us of what it cost us to have a new covenant relationship with the Lord. And what it cost us was the death of Jesus Christ. The old covenant was the law with continual sacrifices. The new covenant is the forgiveness of our sins based on the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ forever. And so in the breaking of bread, we are remembering his side of that relationship, that he established it by the sacrifice of his son, but we're also remembering our side of that relationship, and in essence, we are restating our vows to the Lord. So as we come to the table, we're remembering what he did for us, but we're also sort of rededicating ourselves in that sense to that covenant relationship that we have with God. And then fifthly is the idea of examination. Look at verse 28. He says, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Breaking of bread requires preparation. 
not to be done in indifference. It's not to be done with a heart that's not honest before the Lord. And so this verse tells us we need to examine ourselves as we come. I find that very valuable because sometimes I do things during the week that I don't really deal with. And when it comes time to break the bread and take the cup, it's a time to say, wait a minute. I don't need to go into this hypocritically. I need to get honest before God. And it helps me to keep short accounts with him because I say it's time to get serious about what I did. It's time to examine the past week and see where there might have been some areas where I need to confess that to the Lord and get right with him and then take the bread and the cup and remember the Lord Jesus. It's a time of examination. Sixthly, it's a time of proclamation. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread and the cup is a proclaiming of the death of Christ. It's a sermon acted out. It's really the gospel in picture form. The two symbolic things that Jesus commanded us to do, baptism and the breaking of bread, both are proclamations of the gospel. We saw that this morning in baptism. Baptism is an identification with Jesus Christ in his death, burial. They go under the water, and they come out with the picture of rising to walk in newness of life. That's a picture, a drama presentation of the gospel. So is the bread and the cup. The bread representing his body, the cup representing his blood, reminding us of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so because it is a proclamation of the gospel, that tells me that it is appropriate for unbelievers to be present during this time because it's proclaiming the gospel as we take it. And then seventh and finally, it's a time of anticipation. If you notice the end of verse 26, it says we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I like that. Because we take the bread and the cup, with our eyes on the clouds. We are anticipating his return. We are anticipating the day when we can put the symbols aside and have the reality, Jesus Christ. He promised us in Mark 14, 25, I shall never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so as we take the bread, we're not just looking back to remember, we're looking forward in anticipation. There should be an air of excitement, an air of expectancy as we take the bread and the cup, realizing that we are waiting for Jesus Christ to come back so we can remove the symbols and embrace his substance. And so the breaking of bread is a time for remembrance, a time for fellowship, a time for giving thanks, a time for rededication, a time for examination, a time for proclamation, and a time for anticipation. Which brings us to the final question. How should we do it? What are the characteristics of the breaking of bread? Well, let me give you several. Number one, it was intended to be an informal time. It was never intended to be an elaborate ecclesiastical rite. It was never intended to be draped in formality. It was to be informal. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, 
we're told that it took place in the context of a home. Very informal surround. No stained glass windows. It was in a home. And we're told that it took place in the context of a meal. Jesus instituted it in the context of the Passover meal. And the early church carried on that idea of having a meal together. Jude chapter 12, or verse 12 tells us that meal was referred to as the love feast. And so they gathered together to have a potluck dinner. And in the context of that potluck dinner, they had the breaking of bread and took the cup. Very informal. That's what got the Corinthians in trouble here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because they were coming, bringing their food for the potluck and then sitting in the corner and eating their own. And some were getting drunk at the meal. They were abusing what was going on here. But the point I want to make is that it's intended to be informal. It was celebrated in the atmosphere of a home in the context of a meal, which tells me that oftentimes there wasn't a whole lot of quiet and contemplation beforehand. If you have a meal, that means you got the sound of dishes. you got a guy sitting across from you with ketchup on his chin. You know, it was an informal setting where they took communion together. Secondly, second characteristic, it was sacrificial. I want you to look over at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and verse 26. He says, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, this is not isolated to the breaking of bread. When they came together as a church, they didn't come as spectators. There were no bleachers in the early church. They came together, and when they came, they had something to give. They didn't just come to receive. They came to give. They came, as it says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. And so as they gathered together, they came to give not to receive. And as I look at what the early church was committed to, they were committed to four things in Acts chapter 2. And those four things were teaching, fellowship, prayer, and the breaking of bread. When you think about those four things, teaching is a time when you receive something. Fellowship is a time when you share back and forth. Prayer is a time when you ask for something. But the breaking of bread is the one component there where you really don't receive anything. It's designed to give thanks to the Lord, to give worship to the Lord, to praise the Lord. So it's sacrificial in nature, which suggests responsibility. If you're going to come to give, you have to prepare yourself. I think sometimes we could take a a page out of the Jewish calendar because the Jewish calendar began at 6 p.m. the night before. Your Sunday maybe ought to begin at 6 p.m. on Saturday night when you prepare your heart for worship the next morning. You know, if you, if you stay up till 1 a.m. watching Saturday Night Live, 
you're probably not going to show up at church just overflowing with praise to the Lord. But if you take the time to prepare your heart the night before and you come in here with something to give to the Lord, that's what he's looking for. That we come not to say, Dan, I had a rough night. You know, pull me up off the floor. We ought to come in saying, I'm already way off the floor in worship to the Lord and I want to give back to him. That's the attitude. We, we examine ourselves ahead of time so that we come with the right heart and we prepare our thoughts ahead of time so that when I come in, I'm already ready to give, as Bethany said, the rest of me to the Lord. I want to give myself to him and I want to give my praise to him. And to do that, I have to prepare my heart ahead of time so that I'm coming as a giver, not just a receiver. Third characteristic of this service is that it's simple. If you look in the New Testament, you find very little detail laid out for this meeting. Jesus took the bread and the cup. He blessed it. He explained it. He passed it, and he said, do this to remember me. He took the most common food on the table. Bread was on every table for a Jewish meal. Wine was on every table for a Jewish meal. He took the most simple elements, bread and that cup, and he passed them and said, do this in remembrance of me. If he was here today in your family, it might be a taco and a Coke. And whatever is the basic thing that's on the table every time, he just took that basic thing and said, do this in remembrance of me. And some of the times that the breaking of bread has meant the most to me were times when it was done in a little different fashion. I remember one time I was with uh, Bill and Paulette Cobb, and we were out in Yellowstone National Park, staying there for several days, and it was Sunday morning, and we decided to just kind of gather around and, and have communion together. And all we had was some orange juice and a stale piece of bread. And we took that together in a very meaningful moment as we remembered the Lord. I don't think the Lord was saying, wait a minute, that's not grape juice. You see, we took what we had, the the basic elements there, and said, we're going to remember the Lord together. And I think that's a, a great opportunity. It's a real challenge for us to figure out how to do in a larger context a very simple uh, remembrance without making it very formal. And one of the things we've talked about, we're not going to do it this morning, one of the things we've talked about is kind of shaking up the way we do it. And so I would warn you ahead of time that in the future we're going to, we're going to have some stations around the room with the, the bread and the cup in various places and let you get up and go get it yourself so that you're going to do it a little different. We want to just do it differently so it, it doesn't become routine. We're, we're creatures of habit. And I know you're creatures of habit because you all sit in the same pews. If I want to know if you're here, I just look out there where I know you'll be sitting because very few of you move around. So we like our comfort zone. We like to do it the same way. And what we want to do is, is change that a little bit so that we're not stuck on this is the way we've always done it. We're stuck on we're doing this to remember and say thank you to the Lord Jesus. It's a simple thing. We also have tried and will continue to do this in the context of small groups because I think in that small group atmosphere, it's in a home. It's in the context that it was really initially intended to take place in, a very uh, informal, simple context. 
Fourth characteristic. It's focused. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What's it about? It's about Jesus. More particularly, the bread, his body, the cup, his blood, it's about his death. So essentially, the focus of the breaking of bread is the cross where Jesus died for you and me. And you know what happens when you focus on Jesus? I know what happens when I focus on Jesus. I get the focus off of me, and I start to worship him. And I focus on him and appreciate who he is and what he did for me. Worship comes out of my heart. One of the stories I really love is the account of the transfiguration. And Matthew's account is very interesting to me because he tells how Peter and James and John went up on the mountain and they saw Jesus in all his glory shining like the sun. And it tells us that Moses and Elijah were there as well. And you remember Peter, it says, because Peter didn't know what to say, he said something. Which is very typical of Peter. And he said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to make three tabernacles. One for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We ought to put the three of you on the same level here, and we'll make some memorials for you. And as he was saying that, a cloud rolled in, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. In other words, you don't put him on a level with a couple other guys. And Peter and James and John fell on their face to the ground when they heard that voice. And this is what Matthew says happened next. It says, and lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. I love that. They're wanting to build tabernacles and, and, and make a hall of fame for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and then they get the message, no, it's all about Jesus himself alone. Well, I would suggest to you that that's what this simple, simple remembrance ceremony is about. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Come and focus on me alone. See Jesus himself alone in the bread and in the cup. It's a very focused time. And then fifth, it's refreshing. Jude 12 calls it a love feast. So as we come together, we really celebrate our unity. We celebrate our oneness. That's the thing that bothered Paul so much in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that at the church in Corinth, they were breaking bread in a context of hypocrisy and selfishness, which is the very opposite of what this meal is to indicate. It's a time of refreshment when we celebrate our unity together, the bread reminding us of that unity. Acts 2.46 says, they broke bread and took their meals together with gladness. It was a time of joy. It wasn't to be a funeral ceremony. It wasn't to be cold. It wasn't to be sterile. The primary expression of the breaking of bread is joy and celebration because we remember not a dead and buried Christ. We remember a risen Christ whose death we proclaim until he comes. And so this morning, we're going to take the bread and the cup, and we're going to pass it among us. And I would tell you, if you haven't participated before, when the bread comes, it'll already be broken for you. We have pre-broken bread. 
just take a piece of that and take it as it goes by. And when the cup comes, take a drink of the cup and put it back into the holder. I always try to put it around the outside edge so that no one else picks mine up after I'm done with it. But that's just my preference. Um, Just so you kind of know the logistics before we change them around on you. Uh, But I'm going to give thanks and then we're going to pass it. I pray that this will be a time when you examine your heart, when you remember the Lord Jesus, and when you say thank you to him because he has done for you what you can never do for yourself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to participate in this simple yet profound ceremony that you established very tangible, the bread and the cup, but reminding us of what you did for us to enable us to have a new relationship with you. And so as we take the cup today, we thank you for the body of Christ given for us. As we take the cup, we remember his blood shed on our behalf. And Lord, I pray that you would truly move our hearts today so that this simple ceremony would be far more than just a ceremony. It would be a time of examination and rededication, a time of thanksgiving as we remember you, and a time when we truly focus on you, Lord Jesus, and give you the worship due to your name. We thank you in your worthy name.